Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It's going well. I'm very sore. I did a running race yesterday. I was going to say, this is like a very uh, different shift for us. The past few years, it's been you grilling me on my running races. But uh, yeah, suddenly today, the, the tables have turned. You were at a running event, and I was at a cycling event yesterday. Yeah, quite odd. Quite odd. But you did very well. You got second in your trail half marathon with a blazingly fast time, which just leads me to think that if I didn't love you so much, I would hate you so, so much. Well, I think they the distance was probably off. So I don't know how fast it actually was, but uh, I mean, it was hard. Unless the distance was off by like three miles, it was pretty freaking fast. Yeah, you strictly shouldn't be that. Most people were measuring just under half, but everyone seemed really concerned. I figured it was about enough. I was ready to be done when we crossed the line. My quads from all the downhills were starting to go. So yeah, went well though. Yeah, very proud of you. And then while you were at that, I was at the women's four hour over at Hardwood Bike and Ski here in Ontario and doing some shred girl stuff. Um, Actually, on that note, I am super, super pleased to announce that after a whole lot of just madness with publishing and pandemics and all that jazz. It's been a wild ride uh, on the note of all, I guess, all of my books being titled something, something ride. Um, the Shred Girl series is finally all three books are out in print. So Lindsay's Joyride, Allie's Rocky Ride and Jen's Bumpy Ride are all available in print. Finally, we have beautiful new covers from my dear friend Pip Claffy. She's the one who designed our adorable Shred Girls caps a while back and the Ride Bikes Get Rad t-shirt that Peter's actually wearing as we record this. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I'm so pleased with how they look, how they came out, and just the fact that they, they're finally all out in print. I know uh, even just being at the Hardwood race yesterday, talking to a few uh, parents who literally saw Allie's Rocky Ride like in print, the book was there. And I was almost in tears because they like ran to the table to get these books for their kids because, you know, it's it's been rough with kids not needing more screen time and the book had only been available in ebook form for right. since it came out. Um, and that was that was tough on parents because I think they had to make the decision whether or not to like have their kids spend more tablet time reading it or, you know, wait and hopefully eventually the the print one would come out. But they're here. Uh, we'll have links to that over on consummateathlete.com. But uh, if you really want to get in on it, just head to shred-girls.com. And I have all the links for where you can get them wherever you are in the world. Uh, yeah, super excited. And now it's on Amazon, of course. But uh, if people request it through their local bookstore. That's actually yeah. the cool thing. Yeah. So you can actually now go to your local bookstore. And assuming they use Ingram, which is like the main book ordering platform, uh, you can actually have them like order it in, which is pretty sweet. Sure. Um, so if you want to avoid, I know that we have several listeners who message us about that, avoiding Amazon. And, mm-hmm. and this is actually better. You know, in the past, we've ordered it from Amazon because that's who's been printing them and then mailed them, which seems like we're not really avoiding Amazon. So this is an actual avoidance if that's that's your bend. Bend? Bend. Bend. <laughs> anyway, super exciting. And I mean, I guess on the note of women's, you know, women's for our women's riding and of course the Shred Girls, I'm so excited to have Sarah Gross, the founder of Feisty Media, the host of the Women's Performance Podcast, prof- uh, former professional Ironman, just all around 
incredibly badass woman. Uh, honestly, one of my just absolute inspirations uh, is on our podcast today. I was on the Women's Performance Podcast about a month ago, and I had such a blast chatting with her. Um, she's just doing so many cool things, so many great things for women in sport. Uh, if you, you've if you've listened to past episodes we've had here with Celine Yeager and Stacey Sims uh, talking about whether they're talking about menopause, gravel racing, uh, nutrition, just all things women and science and sport related. Very cool. Yeah, I know a lot of listeners also enjoy the the feisty podcasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feisty menopause is their big one. They actually uh, Celine and Stacey have a new book out. That's all about menopause. I believe it's press play um, or something to that effect. It's at least we'll, the podcast. Yeah. We'll include a link in the show notes. I think it might be called Next Level or oh, something. Oh, I think you're right, yeah. actually. We're going to say Next Level. Uh, really great, great resource for women who are going through or heading into that stage. Actually, if you recall, we had Celine on a few months ago, and I got very nervous slash stressed that uh, I'm, a, I'm officially in the age category that needs to be worrying about perimenopause. Uh, and starting to kind of think towards that. But I think that's that's a great thing that we should all be probably more aware of at any age. Um, so, yeah, this episode, we sort of go, go all over the place from, you know, what it's like starting a business, what it's like shifting from being a professional athlete into starting a business, uh, you know, continuing to stay active, how that's shifted for Sarah over the years, and just kind of everything in between. It's It's a really fun conversation, especially if you're someone who's, working a lot and trying to figure out how to fit it all in i think this one and then last week's episode we had john shep are just two great episodes for not how to do it all but how to how to how to do it all i guess okay (laughs) with some caveats so yeah i think uh without further ado let's uh let's get into this podcast enjoy this episode with sarah gross Sarah Gross, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Molly. Thanks for having me. I would be excited on like so many different levels, actually. I was trying to like decide which which thing I'm like the most excited to talk to you about, whether it's like feisty media or your like career as an Ironman pro, or as I just heard, um, you just started doing like CrossFit and sort of like dabbling in more of the strength training stuff. Yes. I, I started, well, I started when I retired. So I'm like sort of three years into my CrossFit journey, okay, if so you I'm, will. <laughs> I'm really yeah. enjoying this. Um, okay. Let's, Amazing. let's go like way back. Give me sort of your, your elevator bio, if you will, of how you, how you got from, from there to, to here. Um, okay. <laughs> Give me the, like the macro and then we're going to get really micro. <laughs> The elevator bio is like super hard for me and I always forget something, but okay. (laughs) It's what's important to you today. I think, yeah, I think like one thing, like I like to start with my childhood a little bit because it was super important. Like I was from um, Ontario, Canada as a a place that I know, you know, and love. Um, And midway through, like when I was about 13 years old, we moved to the Middle East to like a town inland from Dubai. Uh, And I went to high school there with a bunch of kids from all over the world, which was just this like complete, like departure from everything I had ever known <laughs> you know a little different um, than Ontario yes, yes. yeah exactly um so I think it kind of formed who I am a little bit in that way um and I ended up going to university in Canada and also in Scotland and I um and when I was doing my PhD in Scotland 
I, which is in women's history, by the way, sometimes I forget this detail. Uh, I love that detail. That's like my favorite detail. (laughs) Whatever. Just a PhD. (laughs) And then, and then I um, started doing triathlon at that point and realized I had this opportunity to potentially uh, become good at it or go after like becoming a pro or trying to figure out what that meant. So I decided to go down that path when I finished my PhD and I was a pro athlete for 14 years. And during that time, near the end of my career, ended up being part of an advocacy group to try to get equal slots for the female pros at the Ironman World Championships in Kona, which we did not have equal slots. Um, And we still kind of don't. It's kind of messy. Um, But at that time, then I ended up working with a lot of journalists because we did, we created a lot of hype on social media and stuff around this issue that we thought was really important. And so I thought when I retired, oh, I'd quite like to do work in media. Uh, and somehow decided it was a great idea to just start my own media company because like, why, (laughs) why try to write for someone else or a podcast for someone else? I could just do it myself, (laughs) um, without really considering the question of how I was going to pay for all that. Uh, and then, and here we are five years in feisty media, and it seems to be going fairly well. We now have eight podcasts and, uh, quite a few social media channels and we're still growing. So that's the elevator. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So many things here. Um, although, first of all, I, I do like to, to point out that like when you start like a media network, I think pretty quickly you suddenly realize like it's very hard to like run the like network and also get to do all of like the things that you loved in doing it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yes, exactly. No, I, sp- I then spent like, I started the, the company because I loved creating content and I loved writing and I loved talking on podcasts and, and I loved that it, uh, sorry, <laughs> editing video also was another thing that I loved doing. And then very quickly, like you say, was not doing any of those things. And instead I've been managing a company, which is great, but I'm very happy now because we just launched our women's performance podcast, which I interviewed you for last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's me kind of returning to the content creation side, which I was super stoked about. Nice. I think there actually is probably like some kind of graph we could make where it's like, it's all business as you're trying to like get something started. And then once it finally kind of starts basically managing its, itself as a business a little bit more, you can then get back into the thing that you actually wanted to be doing. Do the things that you love doing. Yeah, totally. And also it's not like, I don't like, I have learned so much building this business and the journey continues, you know, I knew nothing about business. So mm-hmm. I've had this whole exploration and learning process, which has been amazing unto itself. So I don't want to downplay that because I also have loved that process too. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay. So the PhD program, I actually, this is not a question that I had sent you, but now I'm like really curious. How was it sort of making that decision to have done a whole PhD in women's history and then be like, okay, I'm going to go be a pro Ironman now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, the way I told it, it, because I had to tell the goals notes version, it seems like it was like an immediate (laughs) departure, you know, (laughs) but but there's this massive overlap of me, you know, working away several hours a week on my PhD and also training several hours a week. Um, and so there was this overlap. And at one point it was actually the opposite. Like at one point I almost thought, I'm not sure I want to finish this PhD because I knew that I had started it because I wanted to become a professor, like an academic, do research, work in a university. That's how I saw my life going and realized halfway through that that wasn't 
how my life was going to go. And I didn't want to do that. So then I had to find other reasons to finish the PhD program Mm -hmm. as I transitioned into being a professional athlete. So the last, it was, um, a three to five year program, the PhD, and I took six years. So in the last couple of years, I was part-time. I was definitely more the pro athlete who was just trying to finish this PhD thing. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed there seems to be a lot of professional female athletes with PhDs? especially in endurance sport, shockingly high number. It's strange in in triathlon too. We also have a lot of medical doctors and physiotherapists and people who are very highly accomplished in their careers. Yeah. Also venture capitalists is like a growing group of women who are also in like cycling and triathlon. Interesting. Very strange. And I kind of love it. Like it's, it's yeah. It's a very type A thing. That's, that's for sure. I love it too. I was going to say that too. One of the things that happened really at the beginning of creating Feisty was we had two podcasts. One was the Iron Women podcast, which is still going. And if mm-hmm. we were riding, they're both still going. And um, we had listeners that all were sort of the heads of marketing departments in various companies. Like these were like accomplished women who do triathlon, who had never had a podcast made for them and their people, (laughs) if you will. So they, you know, that really helped like just connecting those dots. Like I heard from a lot of people who are like, Hey, I work with this company. I work for this company. I think we could sponsor your podcast. Um, Mm -hmm. so that, that just like moving into that space and connecting those dots that way with the, with the women's athletic community is really cool. Yeah. Which does make you wonder why more like cycling companies and brands don't really reach out to that women's audience more when you think about like who's actually in that audience, but that's a podcast for another time. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. I think people are realizing now, you know, but it's take, it's taking a while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Training for Ironman. I've done two now and I know the time that it takes to do that. Like balancing Ironman training with literally anything else, including, you know, advocacy to get 50 women to Kona and all of these other things and starting a media network. How did you come to terms with like a balance between the training and the racing and doing literally anything else? Mm. Yeah, you're an amateur. It's a full-time job. Yeah, no, it is. It is a full-time job and that kind of is the answer. So I think um, it's not, I'm not going to give a satisfying answer to this because for the most part, I was able to be a full-time pro athlete. And I do really admire people who are able to have a full-time, like a nine to five, or even sometimes something more intense than that for their job. And Mm -hmm. also cram in a training session before work, a training session after work. So I think there's a few things that ways I've seen people be successful. You know, for me, I was say, I was never working more than 20 hours, say on my PhD or on something else when I was training, you know, in training, we would train between 20, low twenties and 30 hours a week for Ironman. So, you know, it's more the fatigue, honestly, because if you put together like 20 hours of PhD work and 25 hours of training, that's not an insane week, but you're, you're so freaking you're tired. So tired. All the time. <laughs> that's a problem. Um, so the other thing I think people who are successful, who successfully put that together with a job, um, are really like, they, they make it a lifestyle. Like it's either one and done. So you're doing something for a few months of your life and then you're done. You've done your Ironman check. Amazing. Or you're like, you get up every morning and you go to the pool and that's your routine. And over the years you adapt, you adapt to your own lifestyle. So I think if you want to do something, you can do it, you know, um, for me now, as now that I do have a full-time job, that's fairly intense. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider that because I don't want to spend 20 
odd hours a week exercising anymore. That's just not my priority. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I definitely, it's definitely a fine balance and recognizing where you, um, like where to put your time and energy and that like people aren't magically, excuse me, people aren't magically out there just like doing it and making more hours in the day than anyone else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm always amazed that anyone who has kids and a job can get through an Ironman. Like right. it, it, it blows me away. It is amazing. And those people should be pr- like super proud of themselves of what they've accomplished. Right. Even if you're, you know, even if you train 12 hours a week, say for your Ironman and you get through it and it takes you 14 hours. Great. Like that's an amazing accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So you started Feisty Media. Where did the name Feisty come from? <laughs> okay. So when I first started, I was looking, I, I did, I essentially did three days of brainstorming for this word. Like I called in friends I had, cause I had this office that I was renovating that was in an old garage at my house at the time. And it, it had been a, previously it had been a hair salon. So there was like, you know, like a, hair salon one of those sinks like great there was like this 1980s wallpaper on the wall it was kind of dingy yeah it was amazing and then I got all these post-it notes and came up and did like word association just for because I wanted to get it right and sometimes sometimes with words you're a writer I don't know if this happens to you but you know sometimes words come quickly and sometimes they don't Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it takes it, it's like you chew on it for a while and you figure it out and this was definitely a process um so and eventually I ended up I circling it on the idea that I wanted to reclaim some language a little bit in the name like I really like that reclaim like I really like I don't know you know the Instagram account betches mm-hmm. like I love that like reclaiming of language and and making it a new meaning that so that essentially so you can't insult us anymore Mm -hmm. so I started googling like words that have been used disparagingly towards women Mm -hmm. and I got a lot I made a whole list and feisty came out of that list right um and I was like "Ooh, I like that because it means like it has been used to to like put people down like oh you're being a bit feisty you're too feisty Mm -hmm. and then at the same time it has this really cool meaning which was everything that we were about right which was like Mm -hmm. speaking up for ourselves and being authentic and out there in the world doing our things so um that's how I came to feisty I love that and I will say I I actually genuinely find it harder to write a good headline than I do to write like a book Mm. I'm like, please give me 50,000 words, um, but five words, not nearly as good with them. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes it's so, sometimes honestly, sometimes it's like, boom, it comes to you. Right. And then if that doesn't happen, it's yeah, it's three days of brainstorming for me, apparently. Yeah. Okay. Uh, starting feisty media. That's a, that's a pretty big jump. Like you could have gone sort of back into academia. There were like a lot of, you could have just gone into straight up like endurance sport media. Like you had kind of a lot of directions to take starting your own business is actually like kind of terrifying. Uh, Mm -hmm. you were a recently retired pro athlete or had you retired? Like when you started it, what was, was there overlap there too? But like, how did you push past that? Like but I imagine there had to be some fear in just going full bore with this. Yeah. There's a couple of things there. One is that, you know, not knowing that you've just got yourself in way over your head is actually an asset. You know, <laughs> it's, it's like, I did Google how, how to start a media company at one point and it came up with that you needed really deep pockets. It's like, well, I don't have that. Is there another way? <laughs> um, I'm going to see what Ask Jeeves has to say about yeah, this. That's right. <laughs> Check a different search engine here. 
Yeah. <laughs> Give me a different answer. I don't like this one. Um, so I also, I have been a serial kind of entrepreneur in a way, just looking back now, I would call it that. Don't think I recognized it at the time, but I started in university. I started a hat company where I made my own hats. They were like these big winter <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and at one point I had to make the difference between or make, make the decision between continuing with that because it was getting so big and continuing with my master's program at that time. So many questions about these hats. <laughs> we might need to include like a picture of them in the show notes or something here. <laughs> so there is a whole story with the hats. I don't know. <laughs> like, they're actually like, they were made out of socks. You know, the, um, you know, those wool socks that have, they're like usually gray and they have white at the top and then like a red line around. Oh Yeah. And then there was a fad. It was a fad for people to wear sweaters that look like they were made out of, this is the nineties that were made out of those socks. And also at the same time, there was a big fad around like these, the massive fleets, fleece hats that people would wear snowboarding because yep. snowboarding was cool then super yep. cool, big mm-hmm. fleece hats. So I had to combine these two things and made made hats out of socks oh my god amazing line them with fleece and it just like it just kind of took off like and I sold them to shops I would go to craft sales and sell them and then I got invited to a big um it was like the kind of craft sale or it was like small business thing where they they brought in like Walmart and all the big stores to come and see like all the new businesses right and I was my business was invited to come and like show my hats (laughs) And I asked someone who had gone before and he said to me, like, you need to be ready. Like if you get like, what happens if, if somebody comes to you and orders 30,000 hats, like that's going to change your life. You need to. And I just thought, I don't want (laughs) to like, So at that time I had like, you know, I had some, I paid someone like a few, like a few bucks to like help me with some sewing and I paid someone else to come and stand at the booth with me. Sometimes we went to shows like this was, this was not big business at the time. So, um, that was that anyway. Yeah. I I think also like, and you can probably relate to this, like being a pro athlete in triathlon, like in a sport like that, it's very entrepreneurial in terms of like, you need to, every year you need to like send off your sponsorship things. You need to make, you're making business relationships really with companies um, and, and figuring out how to sell yourself. Like you're the commodity at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think like some of those skills have been helpful. Again, at the time I didn't see it that way. Um, but then I think the final thing that made me, you asked how I got over like the hurdle of entrepreneurship. So I had been doing an internship with a, also a small startup, a women in sports startup. And once I was, I, I worked with them for about a year. And once I was really involved with the business enough to know exactly what the business plan is and what their goals were and where they were going, I realized that like, I didn't think that their plan to monetize was going to work. Like, I thought we were all going to be doing free work in a startup forever. Mm. Um, And I thought, you know what? I'm better off, like, using my current relationship with sponsors, right? Leveraging that into paying for one or two podcasts. I can probably get a few thousand bucks in the door, just whatever. Start there and see what happens, Mm -hmm. right? So it was like, it was really a matter of, like, if I'm going to whittle that down into something useful in terms of advice. It was just a matter of, like, don't look at the big thing. Like, I, you know, don't look at like, how am I going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars? Like, I, I don't know, <laughs> right? It's like, like, how do I make the first few dollars to make it viable and to get it off the ground? So by focusing on that, it really 
that kind of worked mentally. Oh, I love it. Okay. Of all of these things, I guess, including the hats, which by the way, I'm very glad you didn't, uh, you didn't pursue. I'm glad you didn't lean into that because otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. It would be a different life. That's a very different life. Yeah. That would have, uh, that's actually going to get to another topic I wanted to talk to you about as far as travel for athletes goes, because we haven't talked about that on the podcast before. And I want to get into that, but of all of these things that you've created, uh, which, which are you the most proud of? Ooh, I realize this is like asking you to like pick your favorite child or something. Yeah. No, proud is a tough word, really. Um, I think the thing, this is how I'd answer that. I actually think I'm more suited to entrepreneurship and to creating this company than I ever was to triathlon. Mm. Right. I think that's important. Like in triathlon, I always felt like if I can just win an Ironman, you know, I didn't think I didn't, for some reason, I didn't ever believe like that I was going to be a world champion. It's probably part of why I never was. (laughs) Um, But I felt like I was suited to it to some extent, but I was just like, I was making a living. I loved it. I was trying to, to win one race, two races, you know, um, you did. So (laughs) I did get there eventually. Um, But yeah. And so I think that I'm, I'm, I think I am definitely more proud of this endeavor with Feisty and how we've been able to use collaboration and also uh, be a bit creative about like where we start without having a set idea. Like if I was set on I'm going to make podcasts and I'm going to get sponsorship on them. And that's the only way I'm going to make income in this company. Then it would, that wouldn't have worked. Right. Mm -hmm. So like definitely staying open to the ideas that, that come out of myself, but also that other people bring me to Mm -hmm. like, that has been a really big asset too. It's like having other people collaborate and say, how can we build this together? What are your ideas? What are the best ones and move forward? Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, you know, anyone who's looked at the feisty uh, crew here, you have so many amazing women who are on board with this. We have had, I think, like four or five past podcast guests have, uh, oh, really? have, have run through. Yeah, we've had Stacey Sims on. We've had uh-huh. Celine Yeager. Uh, we've had Alyssa Gadeski, uh, Haley Chera. <laughs> wow. Well, that's uh, and- most recently, Catherine Taylor and uh, Christy Moan. So, oh my goodness, that's like that's like half the crew for sure. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> because it. they're all amazing women. And like, I will say, like, it's not because I was looking at the feisty site and pulling them from that. Right. <laughs> you weren't I, trying like, to poach my people. Wasn't trying to steal your people for interviews. Like they they all just kind of came. This is like in the past like four years. Like we've mm-hmm. had them on for different reasons, uh, just because like they're all amazing women, like mm-hmm. doing really cool stuff. So yeah, you've got a really good team around you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really lucky. I feel so fortunate with the team. Yeah. Um, okay. So I do want to get back to the Iron Man days though, just a little okay. bit, okay. Um, because we actually really haven't had that many professional triathletes on and especially not ones who would have been sort of going all over the world for their racing and stuff. So I know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are getting back into travel finally for, you know, racing and cycling vacations and all of these other things. So I was just wondering, do you have any tips for traveling as an athlete that you pick up over the years? Cause 14 years as a pro means that you've taken a lot of flights, slept in a lot of hotel rooms, mm-hmm. um, changed time zones many, many times and packed. Yeah. I don't even know how many bikes. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm, I'm first going to give you advi- advice from some, that someone else gave me and that worked really well. So I was talking to an athlete who was, she had been on the podium at Ironman world championships several times. We were in Dubai together for an event and we were out for a run. And I said, Oh, how did you get over the jet lag? And she's like, I don't get jet lag. 
that was it. She's, she's Swiss. So she'd say these one, these like one line answers. Like that was, I don't get jet lag. I'm like, okay then. And I thought, and I, you know, I wanted to say, how do you not get jet lag? What's your, but I, I actually realized in that moment that the fact that she believed that she didn't get jet lag was the only thing that mattered. Mm -hmm. Right. Like she didn't take all these strategies, whatever. I was like, Oh, okay. So at that point, I just convinced myself that my body, like my body was going to take the sleep that it needed when it, you know, and I was going to sleep at nighttime, the place I was in. Um, and for the most part, it worked, especially the part where you think like my body's going to take what it needs. So after it might travel somewhere, if you travel to the other side of the world, you know, you might be lucky to get two hours sleep, whatever, but she's like, okay, I'll just take a nap later. <laughs> you know, with that, just like shifting a mindset away from panicking about mm-hmm. not having sleep. Meanwhile, um, I'm here with daylight savings time. Like my life is ruined. Yeah, like, <laughs> the depression sets in. I mean, yeah, that's also real. And I think, I think it's, it's funny. Cause I think that is real, you know, like I have an 11 year old daughter and she didn't make up any, you know, mental things about daylight saving times. She just felt like crap on Monday morning, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's all she knew. Yeah. Her and I both, um, <laughs> Don't know why. Like I used to, you know, travel like to Europe like four or five times a year, no problems. Never had a jet lag issue. Now daylight savings time just levels me every year. I think it's because you're stuck in it, right? Like yeah. it sucks in both directions. Now it's like, oh great, it's dark out now until 7:30 in the morning. So now like my morning is just so grim again. Yeah. And it's also like it's not supposed to suck. You know, like when we're traveling around the world, we're like, oh yeah, jet lag. Like we have this whole context to understand why we might be a bit off or not sleeping, mm-hmm. but like with daylight savings, like it's just like the world keeps going. You're like, yeah. does everybody else feel like crap? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like there's something glamorous about jet lag. There is nothing glamorous <laughs> about daylight totally, savings. Totally. Totally. Oh, that's funny. Um, the other thing I was thinking with the travel thing is that how I right right now when I travel, since I'm not an athlete, I literally take the total opposite approach that I did when I was an athlete. So at the time I would think about, um, I would think about my carbohydrate intake. I would, t- I would think about hydration, right? Like carbs help you sleep. So I would take, I would make sure I had like carbs right before I went to sleep on the plane. Mm-hmm. I would say hydrated on the plane. So I didn't feel like crap at the other end. Cause a lot of the reason we feel crap after a long flight and that jet laggy feeling just has to do with dehydration. So I would take, take care of all those things. Now I do the opposite and I intentionally hydrate myself. So I don't have to get up and go pee on the plane, <laughs> but I'm not expecting yep. my body to perform on the other end. Right. Yeah. Which I think is actually a really good point is just like during the travel day, like how, yeah. How do you want your body to perform on the other end? Like that's mm-hmm. such a good, just question to kind of keep asking through everything, including, you know, when you're at the airport and there's all the good snacks around and you're like debating what to get, what's going to make mm-hmm. you feel better. And that might be the carby thing. And that's great. Yeah. It's a good to sleep. Keeping that in mind is, is a really good one to keep asking ourselves kind of all the time, actually, now that I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> mm-hmm. probably a good question to, to ask. Uh, what about packing as far as like race bags? Cause triathletes, uh, travel heavy. They do. We do. Yeah. I, I never stopped disliking that. Honestly, I just got better at it. You know, like, again, it's one of these things, like when I stopped training and racing and I could travel without a bike, it was like, Oh, like (laughs) it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I think I actually, I coached quite a lot of people through this too, is like, especially with like taking your bike apart and putting it together at the other end is to think like, if this is only 20 minutes, 
right? Like this is not this big, this big thing that you have to, this is just like a very easy thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to take me 20 minutes of my day. I got to take my bike apart, put it in a box, right? Like not a big deal. If it's a big deal, get the bike shop to do it. Like, <laughs> you know, um, and then really just having, like, I had a really solid checklist to take the thinking out. I did not want to think about it every time. So, you know, I'd probably fly 12 times a year. And I just, I use the same checklist probably for three or four years before I would need to update it or something changed about racing or what you had to wear mm-hmm. and the kind of belt you're supposed to use and it changed something on the list, but love um, a good checklist. Yeah. Good checklist goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Ah, so good. Okay. So you have this performance women's podcast now that has four pillars. So mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about them and also just point out that these four pillars are not, uh, not women specific. These apply to anyone listening, uh, because you know, we have, we have plenty of men who listen to our podcast too. So mm-hmm. I just want to put, put that out there before we dive into these. Um, and I really want to hear about like the four pillars in general, but then also like how they've changed for you over mm. time from like when you were pro to, to now where you're still, you know, training, you're doing CrossFit, but your life looks a lot different. A lot different, so, yeah. Okay, so the first one, physiology. So actually, how did you come up with the four pillars? Let's maybe start with that. Yeah, so last year when we launched the Women's Performance Summit, we had the first one last year of March, um, we noticed that the conversation online, and again, this would go broadly to the whole, like to the men's audience too, but we noticed there was a lot of talk and research around women's performance with hormone cycles. Right. So a lot of people were talking about training with your cycle or what days to do certain types of training or how to use birth control within training, training during pregnancy, like these types of things, right. Really focus on the physiology piece, um, and the nutrition pieces, which are really important. Um, and I think training does this too. Like, I don't know, in, in triathlon, there's an overemphasis on the physiology and nutrition parts. Like, I think we talked about this, uh, when you were on my podcast last week about how we're outsourcing our, what did you call it? Our outsourcing our like biology, how we feel, (laughs) how we feel. That's what it is. Yeah. And you actually, I I couldn't remember the word outsourcing. Uh, (laughs) I think like three minutes trying to remember that phrase, but yes, we've outsourced how we feel to all of these apps and various wearables that tell us how we're feeling. Right. So using these metrics like power, heart rate, whatever the new ones are that have <laughs> since I, since I stopped training, you know, to tell us what to do with our physiology. But we sometimes forget to look at like how our mental health and how general culture affects how we feel about what we're doing and how well we're performing. Um, so we that's why we decided to to dive into all four of those pillars because we thought um, when we're looking at Sometimes we're looking at exclusion, for example, with, with women in sport, we're like, well, actually it's harder for us to be there in the first place. Sometimes on the start line, it's harder Mm -hmm. for us to start a new training program. And the reasons have to do with culture and the way that we've sort of internalized these notions of where we do and don't belong. Uh, And so we need to talk about that, right? We have to talk about that while we're talking about the physiology and the nutrition pieces because mm-hmm. they overlap. Like, and if you look at, especially like if you look at say, um, say a common issue with female athletes would be um, eating disorders or controlled eating, how we think about food. Like it doesn't even have to be um, a serious eating disorder to be something that affects so many female athletes across the board, thinking about mm-hmm. food. And the way we think about food is affected by 
it's not just like, because someone told us we need this amount of protein after a workout, we just eat it. Like it's actually affected by how we see our bodies, um, the size of our bodies, what we've been taught about that, how much we take in like our, our mental health in terms of like how we've like where we've come from too. like a lot of us, I think as teenagers too struggled with figuring out our body image in the world, Mm -hmm. you know, diet culture is constantly telling us we need to be smaller. Uh, So I think we have to talk about all of the things together. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that, and like you say, like that can apply to anyone. We're just, for us, we're just filling in what we see as a gap for, for women. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. And yeah, yeah, there's so many different lenses to to look at that through. And I mean, to to kind of add on the the eating disorder disordered eating side of it, like women athletes, it's even tougher because we're bombarded with messages from both, like from an extra side, right? Society's mm-hmm. expectations, but then also like athletic aspirations and athletic ac- expectations, and like. I, Alexi Pappas actually wrote about this in, in Bravey where, you know, she'd be at track practice or cross country practice and feel really good about her body and feel really good about herself. Like with all of her, like running friends, and then she'd go to a sorority party and suddenly like all of those like confident feelings about her body just went away completely because there's a totally different expectation over there. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, as we're trying to exist in the world and be athletes, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is like that messaging and that messaging it's um and everyone's sort of internalized it in a different way or sees it a different way too it's like you can't it's a it's a quagmire yeah that is an excellent word for it (laughs) yeah okay so for you uh let's talk about how the physiology side of things uh you know has gone from iron man to crossfit i mean how did you get into the crossfit side of things what made you decide to start lifting weights how's that gone i mean going from a very cardio aerobic endurance, heavy sport to pick heavy things up and put them down is um, (laughs) big difference. Yeah. I think I can honestly say like physiology wise, I'm stronger than I've ever been. And I'm turning 46 in a few days, which is kind of crazy. And I was a professional athlete for 14 years. Right. So I should not by any stretch be the strongest I've ever been. So I, there's something missed in how we're dealing with female endurance athletes in the first place, you know, and I certainly know now that I needed a lot more strength training in my program back then. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was strength. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think endurance athletes in general, like the number of like male cyclists I know who have these like little T-Rex arms Mm -hmm. is like off the charts. And like, I've talked to a bunch of like women cyclists about this too. And funny enough, I think women cyclists are actually picking up on the strength training faster than the the male cyclists are maybe Mm -hmm. because we're a newer sport. So we're like more adaptable to change because we've been doing it for like professionally for like less years or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to know. Like I just, yeah, I just know that, that on the physiology side, I'm stronger. Um, and that my cardio fitness, another thing I learned, it's like the cardio fitness, that base that I had, it lasts. Like, I don't need to do hardly anything (laughs) cardio wise. What I do need to work on is like the super, super high intensity, like anaerobic stuff, like being fast enough to do an Olympic lift um, and being strong enough you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so for me, that's all, that's all just fun. And I wanted to pick something and picking CrossFit. I wanted to pick something that I could actually get better at. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there are a lot of people I know who go from endurance athletics into CrossFit and, uh, I've done it and, uh, herniated a disc. So do you have any tips for going in, um, and maybe being like, 
humble enough to be cool for a couple sessions rather than going in and being like, I'm an athlete. I can go, I can go full, full out on this. Yeah. It's, Oh, it's so funny. I think I, when I first signed up for CrossFit, I intended to take off like on my email footer. I think it says something like Sarah gross, like says like CEO, da, 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 feisty media, Iron Man champion. I think I meant to delete it <laughs> because because <laughs> I was like, I was like, I just want to go in there like a person, like mm-hmm. with no, without this, like Iron Man champion, like thing fault, like <laughs> perceiving me. And I just, I forgot to do it. <laughs> so, but luckily, like what I thought was going to be equate to a bunch of expectations around someone athletic showing up at the CrossFit gym actually was the complete opposite. And they had seen so many people come from so many different sports who, who actually had come in thinking like, I'm going to be amazing at this because I'm amazing at something else. That, that was you. Molly's pointing at herself. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) It was a problem. (laughs) Yeah. I think I also had like a year gap. So Mm. I retired and then I just kind of became a casual jogger for a year and took a year off of like any intense physical training and then went, yeah. And then went to CrossFit. So, um, I definitely didn't have any expectations that I was going to be able to do like handstand pushups and do Olympic lifting. There were things to learn. Yeah. On that note, what is like one CrossFit thing that you mastered that you're like extremely proud of? Ooh, uh, extremely proud of I'm pretty good at like I really like I'm good at um pull-ups and and chest to bar that stuff I think I love um I I have yet to do a bar muscle up or a muscle up of any kind uh which I'm I think I'm probably going to work on now um pretty soon so all, all the body weight stuff has been really fun I also like things that have um, that like how the, the gymnastics pieces, like where mm. you're learning a skill, like learning to I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm terribly good at them, but I like, I like learning handstand pushups. I like learning to walk on my hands. Um, I don't put as much time in as I could to learn those things, but, um, yeah, I love them. I like that. Okay. That's awesome. Um, what about nutrition? This is another one that would obviously have like a pretty major shift. I mean, even just in going from being, so going from being pro to, you know, working like an office job basically. Yeah. Um, but then also, I mean, just getting, getting older in general, like I know I cannot eat the same way I ate when I was first training and 20 and stupid. So yeah, <laughs> what are, what are some of the big things that you've moved with that pillar? Yeah. I think coming from professional athleticism where like I was dependent on my body to make a living and I was really I'm a lot more precise about how I ate and getting things, getting things in during the recovery window and making sure I had balanced meals. And I used to cook almost every day, healthy foods at home. Like I'd be cooking brown rice and stir fried vegetables, you know, lean protein. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we were supposed to do, right? For <laughs> like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and I like, and now I just actually like not having to think about it too much. Mm. Right. And I had, you know, I had four, I was a pro for 14 years, but I was a triathlete for 20 years. Right. So I've got 20 years of changing my palate 
you know, of understanding food and what it does for you. Like I kind of have that under my belt, thankfully. So I can go, okay, you know what? I can eat 80% great. Like I just had a chicken salad for lunch and then I can have chips in the evening and that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, and people are often shocked at how much chocolate chips and candy that I actually do eat. Um, But I think it's because they're expecting me to eat none of that yep. stuff. And that's just like not true of me at all. So I definitely like being able to not think about nutrition as much, mm-hmm. not worry about not having enough energy because the quantity of food that you have to eat to maintain 20 or 30 hours of training a week is ridiculous. And actually sometimes hard to get in. Um, okay. This leads me to a thing that I'd like you to maybe like debunk for me, because okay. I remember when I first got into triathlon reading so many articles in so many different magazines that were always like this triathletes like daily diet. And it was like half a cup of oats with berries in the morning and then a <laughs> chicken salad for lunch, no dressing. And then like a piece of salmon with a scoop of brown rice and steamed broccoli with one piece of dark chocolate for dessert. And that was their day. Oh, like yeah. sports drink on the bike or something like that could not have been true. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. Thank That's you. just a, like, like somebody did that once for a month and then they were interviewed for the article during that month because they were working with some dietitian that works with the, the magazine, you know, like that's what was happening there. Actually, Celine could, could talk a lot about that. You, you mentioned Celine Yago, who yeah. does that. <laughs> leads our menopause podcast. Like she talks about that stuff all the time. Like there was no follow through and like whether that was actually, that person was actually eating that regularly. So yeah, I, I hung around and ate with a lot of pro athletes. I think the worst one I saw, and I'm totally going to throw him under the bus is Ferris El Sultan, who's um, a German athlete who became the Ironman world champion in the early two thousands. And he ate nothing but junk. Like he was like McDonald's, we'd stop on the bike and he'd buy packets of cookies. He'd have them like in his back pocket. He didn't, he drank Coke and water. Like he just, he didn't, he just thought it was all, I mean, it was too extreme, honestly. Like that was probably a little too far on the other side, but yeah, but it just goes to show like he was still able to perform at, he was still able to become the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So I think for, I think what is missing in the diet plan that you just described is that there's a certain mainly yeah like food yeah that's exactly what I was gonna say really (laughs) it was like that that like you need you know when you're training like that like you need like I needed 4,000 calories a day so like if you're any and I'm 125 pounds like if you're 160 pound male you need a lot more food um and the quantity is just like you know, and at some point, every athlete just gets so starving in the evening, or you have that day off, like you've just done a three day build, you have a day off and you're starving all day. I always thought that was a sign of health. Like you need to eat. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. I actually feel like the rest day is always my hungriest day of the week, mm-hmm. which is always like so irritating, but then I try to just, I've tried to lean into it. I've decided yeah. to just enjoy that. It's like your body saying, I need more calories. I'm hungry. Exactly. It's, a, it's, a, it's an efficient system to some extent. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Uh, mindset is the other pillar. And I mean, obviously like your mindset has, you know, you, you, you've completely changed careers. You've grown older. Um, I'm always afraid to say older with like when I'm talking to women, which just seems ridiculous. <laughs> totally fine. Um, 
<laughs> I'm older. I'm older than I I'm was. I'm also older than I was. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so obviously your mindset has changed, but I'm wondering like what stuff from Iron Man has really helped you with the, the feisty media network mm. company, however we want to phrase question. So mm. I was literally just thinking about this in my run this morning because I'm in a place right now, like there's been some stressful stuff happening with the business and I'm, I've purchased a property, selling a property at the same time um, as like dealing with some pretty major business stress. And it's been a lot. (laughs) Um, And when I was running, I thought I'm really grateful for the things that I learned as an athlete, because I at least have some skills in my back pocket. Like that, the thing that people always say of like, only control the things you can control and let everything else go. Like as an athlete traveling around the world, trying to win races, like you absolutely have to live that. Like you, you can only control that. You can't control the other people on the race course. Like if you don't learn that you're not going to succeed. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad that I just default to that thing. Like what are the things that I can control? What's my next step? That's what I need to do. Um, And then the other thing is like, I think when you do, I'm sure this is true in other sports, but with Ironman, you have to, it ends up being dark. Like when you're out there, it's dark at the end of the bike ride at the beginning of the marathon. Like there's nothing you have to know why you're there. Right. And if you don't like you're, you're just going to stop and walk, you know, you have to have an answer to that question. And so for me now, like that's the same thing that would drive me at a time that's like difficult with my business, or I might want to just shut down for a while and take time off or choose something else that I shouldn't choose. (laughs) Um, I like, it's, it's like, oh, the same thing. Like you need to know what your values are. You need to know why you're there. And mm-hmm. that's the same thing that's happening with me now. It's like, I know exactly why I'm building this business and the difference I'm trying to make for active women. And that's what keeps me here. Like I'm going to keep showing up. So that's something I definitely learned from doing Iron Man. I love that. Now you mentioned the dark time, but you've also mm-hmm. won two Iron Mans. So mm-hmm. Have you learned anything about actually like taking time to celebrate the victories? Cause you've also had a lot of victories in this business too. Uh And this is not something that we tend to be super good at as uh... yeah. I wouldn't say I'm like a great celebrator. I'm not a non-celebrator. I see the need. Uh, I think a lot of what might drive me to celebrate is other people, you know? So when I won, like I won two races in one year, but it took me 10 years to do that. Mm-hmm. So I had like come second and third and fourth a gazillion times. I had never won Ironman. And so all the people who were with me, like my friends and family for that whole journey, like that was probably more important to them than to me at that point. So we had to celebrate. Um, so that's sort of what got me to that celebration. And I think it's the same with, with Feisty. Like we did, a, we had a Feisty party last October uh, just to like, just to, I don't know, to announce us. I don't know, just because we had to celebrate because all the things can. that we had done. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's why I did that also was like, you know, it's a party is the thing that you're not going to make money on, right? Like it's a business move. It might not feel immediate or obvious, you know, but um, it's, I think that that's, I think it's that exactly is that need to celebrate with the team. Like when we're struggling to celebrate, it's because we're struggling to uh, celebrate ourselves, but when we're celebrating together, it becomes yeah. more meaningful. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of neatly leads into the, the last pillar here of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we're, you know, you were surrounded by 
pro women athletes. Now you're surrounded by professional women podcasters who are also athletes. Um, yeah. What are some of your like main learnings or takeaways in, in terms of culture? Like what's, what's really resonating with you these days? Oh, good question. That's, I always say good question as a way to pause. To oh, I know. It. It's like a good strategy. <laughs> I had a, I had like a phase where I was really pleased whenever someone was like, great question. And right. now I realize <laughs> having been on podcasts that I'm like, oh, right. They're just buying time. Just it's buying not even, yeah. they don't, they don't think my question's great. Uh, <laughs> well, it is great because you just asked a huge question and I'm like, okay, I know, it's which part of culture. Yeah. So okay, one of the things I appreciate the most, um, I'm just stealing this from someone who said this to me this morning, but like that we, I think it's really important to find joy and to laugh. Like if you can't do that, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know? And if you don't enjoy what you're doing. So I always, to some extent, will prioritize that when we're doing stuff here, you know, um, mm-hmm. or I'm always like, not always, I'm sometimes the one goofing off on the meeting you know, because it's partially because I want everyone to know, like, it's okay. It's okay. Like as long as we're getting the work done, right. Mm -hmm. It's okay to to tell a joke. It's okay to take a minute. It's okay to comment because your cat just walked in front of your screen when you're on a zoom call or whatever. It's like amusing at the time. Um, so I think that's like, joy is a really big one for me. Um, I think lately I've learned a lot about communication and collaboration, which is, quite different to being an elite athlete where it's like, it's you and everybody that's helping you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, whereas this is feisty media is not that like there are, you know, hiring people who are better at things for sure. You have to, that I am because that's the only way it's going to work. So it's like that figuring out how to have open communication and to collaborate well and respect each other in the workplace. Like I, that's the stuff I'm learning right now and I love it. And I think it's um, really important. Um, and then I think the other thing I want to say, like, as we talk about changing culture, like we talk about creating an empowering culture for active women. So this is a bit less about me and more about the business, but we talk a lot about like empowering women or empowering some kind of underrepresented group, whomever they are. But actually I think like without a culture that supports that those folks, once they're empowered, then like, then we'll get nowhere. Cause I Mm -hmm. kind of feel a bit like, I feel a bit like I'm empowered now. What? Like now can I be the prime minister of Canada? Like, is that, is it going to work like that? You know, like it's like, actually the culture has to support that empowerment. So that's what, that's the way I'm thinking about it is like, if we have, we have more women telling their stories, if we have a bigger voice, if we become part of that process of creating a bigger voice and better leadership, more leaders that are women, um, then hopefully we can create actually a shift in the culture, the broader culture, like that Mm -hmm. we live in, you'd say in North America, for example. Mm -hmm. Good answer. Good answer. Okay. I'm like the pause oh no, button. Where works. am I going from that? Yeah. <laughs> well, where I'm going from that is we actually have to kind of start wrapping it up here. So why don't you talk about just like what Feisty has sort of in store? I mean, coming up closer, but also I know there's a lot of stuff being planned for sort of like more long term. I, I heard mention of like the menopause summit in the fall, maybe. Mm-hmm. So talk about what's what's coming up immediately and what's coming down the pipe. Yeah. So in nine days, so I don't know if when this podcast will come up, but March 25th to 27th, we have our 
second annual women's annual women's performance summit and that's virtual so if if folks do miss it and they want to come um you can still like it's virtual and you can buy the all the programming later and have oh, access nice. to it for a year yeah so we have 20 vetted experts who are talking about women's performance specifically across those four pillars that we just talked about uh this year we're creating a coaching a coaching mastermind group uh so uh there's a, an amazing woman called linda who is creating a um curriculum for us uh, again around those four pillars for coaches so that coaches can figure out how to um, work better with female athletes. So, I love it. That's so yeah. cool. We saw that is like, we get a lot of that cool questions from coaches. We get male coaches too, asking us like, can I attend your summit? Is this for me? Like, absolutely. Yes, it is for you. We want like everyone to understand how to work, to get better performances out of women. Yeah. Um, which I think so- is just such a, like, I love that so much. I mean, I'm a little biased. My husband is a, is a cycling coach and he's an amazing one. And you know, he, he really cares about the, the women he works with. And he'd be super interested in something like that because like that stuff matters to him. And mm-hmm. I, I get really grumpy when people say that like, Oh, like only women should coach women and, you know, kind of like close off women's coaching to just being like by women. Cause there are amazing women coaches, but they're also really amazing guy coaches. And I think we like do ourselves a disservice when we like shut them out of the conversation entirely. So yeah, I love that. <laughs> totally. And we get male coaches being like, how do I do this? Like, I'm, and they come to our summit or they take Dr. Stacey Sims course and they say like, okay, how do I enact this in my coaching? So I think that that's the question we're, we're answering for the coaches with this new mastermind, which will eventually become a course, an online course, I think, but we're going to do a beta group through it. And so that's happening starting April. Very and then cool. we do have the menopause summit in the fall. We haven't decided a date on it, uh, but that's our second year as well. Last year, we had like 500 people at the menopause summit. Amazing. Like active women in menopause do not have great information. Um, so we do the same thing. Like we bring together experts, we vet them, we make sure that they have good information and they're not just selling like weight loss teas. And then we, and then we bring them together in the summit. Um, so there's that. And then another thing that's happening, maybe like you and I can keep talking this year. Uh, it's, is our outspoken women in triathlon summit. Uh, we think we're going to expand it to like women in endurance sport, kind of lean into like a business leadership kind of skill development conference. So we're, d- that's just kind of evolving. This is the fifth year of that summit. Nice. So we're hoping to evolve it out into the more, the cycling running and triathlon world. Oh, very cool. Okay. Where can people find all of this on the internet? Okay. Yes. I would go to livefeisty.com. That's our website. And then you can find links to all our various communities and programs and events. And uh, at feisty underscore media on Instagram is where Instagram's still our main home. Ah, so good. Oh man. Thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting with me. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks Molly. It was really fun. Thanks so much for tuning into the consummate athlete podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 